Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. So this is episode number 98. And with our 100th episode approaching, I'm focusing on some of the people who have been instrumental in making this podcast a success. And it helps that those people are pretty fascinating in their own right. One of the most important people in the history of Hey Morello is Corey Burns. Corey is a business consultant, an executive coach, and the CEO of Estacar Companies. Now, if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that Estacar sponsored the first four episodes of Hey Amarillo back in October of 2017. In fact, Corey signed on to be a sponsor when the show was only an idea that I had. And her early, early encouragement was crucial to me overcoming the hurdle between thinking maybe I should do this thing and actually doing it week after week after week. So I'm super grateful for her and for Estacar. Corey and I have known each other a long time, and as a female CEO, she has a really unique perspective on business both inside and outside Amarillo. So it's an honor to finally have her on the show. Here's Corey Burns. Corey Burns, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I I should say that I talked to you about this podcast months and months before actually launching it because you were one of the first people who found the idea interesting. Um, so I've had you on my list as someone to talk to as a guest for a long time since the podcast you know, even started. So I'm, I'm glad that you're here today. It's very exciting to be a part of an idea that's been hugely successful, I think, from when we first talked and then also a little intimidating to be on the other side of the microphone well, uh, in the podcast. That, that's good because I guess it means that uh, you know there's an expectation now with yes. podcasts. Back then there was no expectations at all. So let's start. Uh, I want to talk about Estacar. I want to talk about what you do. But before we get to that point, I'd like to just kind of hear your story, how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. So I was at Austin College in most of my undergraduate career, and I played college sports, and I was pre-med, and I came to a point where I decided I didn't want to be pre-med anymore, and Austin College is a very strenuous academic school, and my scholarships were attached to that, and so That's in Austin, Texas? It's in Sherman, Texas. Sherman, Texas. It's a private school. Okay. So I lost some academic scholarships, which was going to result in some pretty hefty college tuition and it was by choice and so my dad said well you made this choice so now you can choose a state school and so at the time we looked at lots of different state schools that I had pursued for athletics or different reasons and Jerry Miller was the dean at the time of the business school and he was very fond of Austin College and very generous in what he allowed for me to transfer and made it a very easy transition that just made sense financially, but also encouraged me to kind of, I was pursuing psychiatry under Mm pre-med. So it was always on the the people side of things. And he made business okay because he introduced me to marketing. Okay. So then I swore I was getting out of here. I was hired and with PricewaterhouseCoopers and I was going to SMU for my MBA and then PricewaterhouseCoopers went on a hiring freeze and that that didn't come to fruition and the dean of the graduate school here had been a professor of mine and offered me an opportunity to get my MBA here and to have a graduate assistantship in the economics department. 
And so I had coincidentally met my now husband. Um, he had a boat at the time, and I was one of the only girls that could wakeboard, and it was love at first sight. Yeah. And that the combination kept me here. So we were going to the lake every day. I was pursuing my degree, and all of a sudden Amarillo and Canyon made sense. Where did you grow up? The Dallas-Fort Worth area okay. in Garland, which is kind of northeast Dallas. Did Before you came to Canyon and WT and Amarillo, did you have like a preconceived idea of Amarillo and the Panhandle? I mean, did you have, did you have any experiences of it before um, you got here? In the eighth grade, I went to Durango with a friend's parents and we stopped at Cadillac Ranch and I had pictures, but I did not know that that was Amarillo okay. until even years into You just remember Cadillac here. Ranch. I remember but. Cadillac Ranch. Um, my grandparents were actually here on vacation at Texas and got stranded in Amarillo when I was born. But and hmm. I had heard that story, but I didn't know, I didn't know much of it. I didn't know what to expect. Do you remember your impressions when you came to WT the first time or, or oh, moved yes. here? What was it like? I cried. So I came and I I was I was pretty excited about a new opportunity and a new school and I was very impressed with the school itself but I was very hesitant about how small it was and it seemed very slow um, just And that was that was what like the late 90s? It, yes, 98. Okay. Um And WT has I mean grown a lot since then. Oh, completely. So back different. then it was it was a different school from what it is now. It was. And there was a gas station that's not a gas station there anymore that we stopped at to ask for directions to the square. And I I swear it took about 20 minutes for him to tell me how to get a couple blocks. Down and the, the square road. really wasn't the square back no. then. I mean not like it is now. We went to the soda shop that I think it was under a different name, but the same soda shop and um, the hardware store that weekend. But I thought, I don't know if I can live here. If people talk slow. People drive slow. Everything is just very different than than what I was used to. Did you and, and your husband ever have like discussions about, do we want to stay here? Do we want to go someplace else? I mean, was, was that something that happened kind of naturally or did you like decide we're gonna we're gonna stay here so we both graduate i graduated with my master's when he was graduating with his undergraduate degree and pretty quickly after that he got a job as an engineer at bnsf railway and that pretty much secured us staying here it wasn't ever truly a conversation we've had many conversations over the years about could we move somewhere else and and even want to move it to other places at various times. But early on, it was that's the career he chose, mm -hmm. and we've worked our whole lives around that career. Okay, so his career has, has sort of stayed the same, but you've, you've made some, some jumps and some movement in what you do. So tell me, walk me a little bit through your career path. So in college, I was a math tutor, and I worked at a financial company that bought and sold notes. And I kind of served as the office manager. I helped support the the people that bought and sold the notes and, and then helped them with some marketing because that's what I was pursuing in my degree. And that took me into a CPA firm. Johnny Moore was the partner that had hired me to do marketing for that CPA firm. And he had made a decision to leave pretty quickly and partner with another CPA firm. And so I followed him since he hired me and Marketing is kind of an enigma to most CPA firms. Yeah. And in 
his partnership with Jack Hudgens, which was then Hudgens Humphrey Moore, um, Jackie Humphrey was a partner at the time, I found a unique ability to work with individuals that they were helping in their finances and growing their business and accelerating their business in a communication and marketing capacity. So that was really my first job and my first foray into what I'm doing today. And then from there, I went to work, I worked with several of their clients for several years and and one of my biggest clients within that firm became Family Medicine Centers and, and the management company. And so, I transitioned into full-time within the medical field and provided marketing for all of their specialties that they managed and supported, as well as the family practice and urgent care. And then I decided that I, I wanted to be adventurous and try something completely different, and I went to be the marketing director at Texas at the time that it was Texas Legacies. Right, which was a difficult transitional period it was difficult and not being from this area i didn't understand i understood a little bit about the history because i had been very involved with wildcat bluff nature center Mm -hmm. just socially and because i love the outdoors and so i had been involved with development and on their board and so i was cognizant of the history i had never been involved in anything to do with theater Really, musical arts were very foreign to me. I was an athlete, and I can't carry a tune. So that was my first foray into performing arts and theater and drama, travel and tourism and, and history. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was really challenging. That was um, we got married that year. And I got to be part of a team that facilitated the change from Texas Legacies back to Texas. Okay. Some of their executives have told me that, you know, they use some of the plans and the ideas that we started in that very critical transition period for 10 or 12 years later. Wow. Okay. So that was a really a turning point for me, I think, in my career to try something new and then also to realize that that wasn't really for me long term. (laughs) And then from there, um, I went back into consulting eventually landing at the Enterprise Center, which is a business incubator and was one of the three core leadership executives to develop what we have today in incubation and economic development through entrepreneurship in our area and coaching. That's where I was. Mm -hmm. David Terry introduced me to the concept of coaching and I fell in love with it. It's kind of how I've always looked at the world and it very much married what I did in marketing and communication with tangible opportunity to help people and businesses grow. And so I've used that as a conduit to to develop Estacar and to lead into mortgage lending now and, and kind of come full circle. So for people that don't know what Estacar does, and, and I've talked about it several times, you know, in the first however many, eight episodes of the podcast, you know, but give people a sense of what Estacar is and the services that it provides for for businesses? So we're a business acceleration firm. We have provided fractional executive services over the last seven years, which can look like an, I call it more in-source than outsource CMO or marketing director. It can look like an HR director or an HR team. Sometimes it's um, CFO work. Sometimes it's strategic planning. The, the core 
competency and thing that is very much a part of everything we do is that w coaching is critical. And we work with the owners and entrepreneurs to leverage those companies from within. Okay. Our goal is to grow companies from within and then work ourselves into a strategic relationship and go find another company or connect another resource to those types of opportunities and resources. So you might have a, a company that is is maybe small or is growing and they know that they need a marketing person, but they may not have the capital to just hire a full-time job or they might want a CFO position or something. And so your company is able to provide some of those same services, but from an outside source. It's, it's actually a little bit different than that. Most okay. of the clients that we, that's a lot what the Enterprise Center does. Okay. Um, they and they connect you to other fractionals for early stage and startup. Um, where I saw a gap when I was there was for the larger companies okay. that needed somebody that had a diverse portfolio of experience and perspective to go into their executive team, work with them for a while, and then source the right people in there. So it's usually not somebody that can't afford a full-time it's somebody that can't find the full-time person that maybe has the resources or connections or perspective here in this smaller market okay that they need to take them and accelerate them to the next level got it and so we've worked with we've worked in agriculture um, we've worked in technology we've worked in food healthcare, food distribution i've worked internationally actually with some other coaches um, with John Deere and with Kate Spade, and we've worked with nonprofits. Now, the way that we kind of look at who we can partner with, it's really based on that coaching platform. Okay. It's, we're here to help people, and people grow businesses. And so the systems and processes are good, and we have those tools, but we're not going to do that for you. We're going to provide the coaching and discover the resources and connect you to them so that you can have those systems and processes and tools and creative strategy and whatever that is, but it's all through the mechanism and vehicle of coaching and leadership. What's the balance of your customer base between those in this area and those like outside here, whether it's outside the state or internationally or, or anything? They're mostly local. I would say 70% of our clients are local and 30% are outside, but almost all of our clients do business across the country right. or around the world. So our business, our clients are not local themselves, but most of, most of them have been here. I have developed quite a bit of business in the Dallas Fort Worth area because my dad's an entrepreneur and we have lots of common interests and so I've developed relationships there and then I've got some business in Colorado and a coach that's I work with in Chicago so it's it's all through relationships though mm -hmm. the whole portfolio of who Estacar has been able to affect has been through network and relationship which is neat one one of the things I wanted to ask you about I, I know that you know as the CEO of, of a, a thriving business here in Amarillo, being in this position is kind of rare for a woman. And I know that's something that maybe you're passionate about is um, you in increasing the number of women who are involved in this kind of thing. Do you, do you feel like that's something that has been um, maybe a struggle for you or something that's, that's getting better in, in this area? I think it's getting better, but it's definitely been a process and a struggle. 
I think men naturally have networks that are different than how we work as women. Um, it's accepted to choose a career over your children and everything else. And not that, not, I shouldn't say over, but for that to be a focus. But guys don't look at it that way. They don't look at it that way. They're providing, that's a part, it, fill, it right. fills what they need in terms of achievement. But, but a, a woman, woman might be judged that way if that's a decision she makes. So one thing that I'm, I'm was thinking about, what, what are the pivotal points in my career that kind of changed my perspective on this about women? And when I was leaving the Enterprise Center, it, it was a great thing for me to be able to to kind of grow up and move out and help businesses that we couldn't help. And they've got a great team. You know, their executive director now worked with me mm-hmm. early in her career, which is super exciting. But I kept hearing, well, you're leaving because you're going to stay home with your kids or you want to spend more time with your family. And I felt like that was the acceptable reason, but that was not at all to do with the core of why I was leaving. I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do more than what I felt like I could do with the resources I had in the position that I was in. And I felt like part of that was being attached to a university at that time. It, it was just circumstances. But it wasn't acceptable for me to say that, no, I'm choosing my career because I had a three-year-old at the time. It was acceptable to say, well, this will create more time and more flexibility for right. my family, which was true. I mean, part of why I designed my career in the the latter stages, like I mentioned earlier, was because our lives have to work around my husband's job. When you're married to an engineer, you don't don't have a schedule. There's no such thing as planned holidays. It's a lifestyle. And so my business has been created to support that lifestyle. And that's, that's how I employ others. And it's very unique to a smaller community like ours. But it's not always acceptable for you to package that as ambition or you're trying to reach a certain point in your career so that you can design your own lifestyle. People here, well, I don't want to generalize, but it may be more acceptable for you to say, well, I just need to, to take care of my family. It was much more acceptable. And, you know, for a long time, being in the economic development field, you hear lifestyle business, and that's somewhat looked down upon because you're supposed to be creating jobs for others, not for your lifestyle. Right. But if you can't create a lifestyle that works for you and your family, you can't create a lifestyle that works for others and their families. And so there's been a big shift in my perspective of why I'm doing what I'm doing and what I'm willing to accept of, I mean, Estacar is a lifestyle business. And because it is, we're able to do and, and motivate and facilitate great things like podcasts in the Amarillo and baseball stadiums and being able to work all over the country virtually and still live in Amarillo, Texas, which all of our employees and myself have done. Do you feel, you know, being a a woman who has been successful in the business world, is there an isolation that you feel like maybe in terms of peer groups or, you know, other women who might be at the same age or have kids the same age, but, you know, they're not running a a company like you are. Has that Um, been a, a challenge? It has. I think it's a challenge it hasn't been for me in terms of finding people I have connections with, but I don't necessarily feel like other women feel like they have anything in common with me. 
that's been hard. Mm -hmm. I think that women don't naturally talk about what their challenges are at home at work. Men do over coffee or at the gym or on the golf course where business happens. Women are not in the stands at their kids' volleyball game talking about work or home. And so it does get lonely. And, And yet it's still not acceptable for women to be talking to men about those things either. So it, so it is lonely. I I do feel like it's improving. We've been doing some small mastermind groups with like-minded women that are successful and we're, it's working and it's been a challenge to just get women to go, well, maybe it's okay that I don't know everything or maybe, maybe what I had judged in that other person isn't really relevant and I should open up a little. And so I see Amarillo changing and it changing for women, but it's always been this way. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's like a geographic thing? Do you think it's because of what part of the country we live in or is it the culture here? Or is it, you know, the, the agricultural sort of ethos that, you know, is, is kind of part of everything here? Why, why do you attribute that to, to where we I live? I think it's all of that, you know, our agricultural mindset and our, we have a bootstrap mentality and that that's with women too. I mean, they have been part of households and businesses and, but they just don't get the credit for it Yeah, and they're not supposed to get the credit for it. And so that's hard to break. And there's generations of that and, and we're isolated. There's not enough people to make big changes in very fast. It takes time when you just have the size that we have and the isolation that we have. What do you tell, you know, if you're talking to like your kids and, and saying, you know, this is what I do, they see what you do, you know, are you telling girls, I want you to be a a CEO. I want you to be an entrepreneur. I want you to go into business. I mean, is that how you change that mindset is just one young girl at a time? Or do you think it like needs to be something bigger? I think it does need to be something bigger, but I think it's more about, you can be anything you want to be. I just had a conversation with my dad and he's an entrepreneur and you know, we haven't really started having these business conversations until later in life. And he said that his dad once told him that he would never tell him no, but if he was gonna go do something that was beyond his age or capability, he had one chance and if he failed, He would pick him up, but the second time it's on him. And my dad always took that seriously. And that was, that was somewhat understood in, in my upbringing. It was, it was enough rope to hang yourself, so to speak, but yet the support system that you're loved anyways, and, and you can do anything that you want to. And I think that that is translated for me. I, it doesn't come from an egotistical standpoint at all. And confidence has been a major challenge for me in my career and in my life. But there is an innate feeling that I can do whatever I put my mind to, especially if it's in relation to helping somebody else or serving others. And so I think that we have to do more of that for our kids. I Mm -hmm. think we have to encourage them to be creative and think outside of what they have always thought they were going to do doctor, lawyer, teacher, nurse. What's wrong with graphic designer? What's wrong with broadcaster? What's wrong with mechanic? What's wrong with 
designing houses. You know, I've done a lot of remodels and helped people find their dream home. It's not something I do for a living. Right. I've designed a ton of t-shirts and I'm completely self-taught. It's just kind of a fun thing I like, but I was never told I could do that. I just had to figure it out. And that's what we need to encourage in our kids to encourage entrepreneurship is just, just try. I've, I've had this conversation with other women who ended up, you know, opening retail stores or in positions of, um, of leadership. And I, I hear pretty often the idea that they never thought they'd be doing something like this. They always thought, well, I thought I would get my education degree and be a teacher. That, that that's something that, you know, maybe the horizons for little boys are always a whole lot bigger than the cultural horizons for little girls in this area. And, and that's what you're saying is that the imagination, kids need to see themselves doing anything and not, here's this category of the stuff that's okay for me to do. I, th- I think that that's exactly on point. I, early on, you know, I was on a, at six years old, I was the only girl on an all boys basketball team. It wasn't on purpose. They thought Corey was a boy until I showed oh, up, wow. but my mom wouldn't let it change. Yeah. And that, that kind of became part of my being that I didn't let gender get in the way of what I wanted to do. In fact, I used it to my advantage to get better at what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I think that we just have to we have to ask more questions and be more curious and inspire more curiosity, even if it's scary. I think sometimes we think, you know, I had a conversation with a mom the other day and she, she's got a graduating high school student. And she said, I thought she was going to college. She's got great grades. And she told me she wants to do hair. And I was like, that's awesome. I wanted to do hair at one time. I mean, think about how much you pay to have your hair yeah. done and what kind of and career. And then it just grows right back and, and you have to do it again. And you can teach and you can travel the world if you want to. Who knows where you could go with that? Why not explore it? But but we always think about why not, not why should I? Yeah. And so I think that's what has to change in our schools, in, in church, at home, in sports. I think that's the piece that will inspire more entrepreneurship here. Do you think this is still a good city for entrepreneurs, for people to try something? Absolutely. I mean, per capita, that's what we're built on. I mean, it's been successful, sometimes even in spite of itself. So absolutely, you know, it's it's not highly expensive. People are willing to, to work with you. They're, they're inclusive when you ask to be included. I think that it's a really great place. I don't think I could have had the success in starting a business anywhere else. Even at like a, a larger place like Dallas or someplace? No, I don't think so. It would have been so intimidating and mm-hmm. so much more competition. And I know that we do as good of work or better work than who is there because we're now doing work with clients right. in those areas and they're choosing us in Amarillo over somebody over in Dallas, people in Dallas and Austin and New York, even when sometimes Amarillo doesn't choose us, but we couldn't have gotten there from the get go. I think it would have been much harder and it would have been a longer learning curve. I want to ask you a, a self focused question. Uh, now we're, we're approaching the 100th episode of this podcast and I don't know, I may have told part of this story, but I, I came back to Amarillo after a long road trip, having listened to podcasts, and just had an idea. 
and I posted on Facebook, hey, what if there was a, a podcast in Amarillo where I interviewed Amarillo people? Would anybody be interested in that? I think you were the first comment, and you said, yes, I'm interested. How can I make this happen? Um, and that started the process of the two of us talking, like, would it work? You know, yeah. you were a big fan of podcasts. Your staff was listening to podcasts. Katie Linger was working with you at that point. She's one of the executive producers of the show now, uh, still, even though she lives in Borger. And and so I, I just want to ask, what did you, what, what made you excited about it at that point? You know, enough to say, I want to make sure you can do this and I want to talk about sponsoring it and all that kind of stuff that, that we ended up doing. I think it was the vehicle of a podcast. I think people want to be heard and people want to hear other people's stories. And, you know, I listen to audiobooks. You know, I read a lot. I'm not really a movie watcher. So it, it was a natural fit for me. But it was also your concept of, hey, Amarillo, we've got amazing people here. And I know I've been part of so many amazing businesses and so much success, billions of dollars worth of success that nobody talks about and nobody realizes. And especially our young people, if we want to inspire creativity, they have to know that it happens here every day and they don't believe it. They think they have to go to Austin to have a a career in artistic design or in marketing, or they think they need to go to Dallas for a great CPA firm. And, and they don't, there's amazing business and amazing opportunities happening right here. But if they don't hear the stories of how it happened, they don't believe that it can. So it was your vision for the, Hey, this is Amarillo and the people combined with the way that I think we need to do more communicating. It's, it is digital and it is through social, but it's also conversation. And I think that we're lacking that as a society in general. I think with social media and, and dealing with a teenager and social media these days, we need more conversation. Mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it was all of it combined. And I wanted to be part of the conversation. So that's why I, in particular, was motivated. I wanted Estacar to be part of a conversation and and Katie and, you know, the various people that I've worked with over the years to just have a voice. You wrote me a check for sponsorship of of four episodes before I had recorded anything. It it was you doing that that made me think, well, this this might be a thing I can actually do. Because I knew I could do it. I was worried about... Uh, the time it would take me and being able to justify that, you know, with all my other clients and, and limited time, you know, could this be something that would sustain itself past a few episodes? Um, so I, I appreciate that and the investment you made in this show. I, I, I haven't asked you this, though. Like, did you think did you think we would still be doing this, Absolutely. you know, three years later? Did, did you see that far into the future? Because I didn't I didn't know. I did. I didn't know what it would look like. But I will say, so we've worked together for years in different capacities. 20 years, 25 years, maybe. So copywriting, graphic design, even management conversations when you were over design departments. So, So I felt like I knew you. And... I've done a lot of media placement in my career and I've made a lot of bets on marketing for other people and and I've known what's worked, but I hadn't been able to find a conduit that I felt would work for Estacar in that way. 
but I knew that was it. And I knew that you had the staying power and the interest to make it happen. And that's what I feel like my gift is in coaching. It's it's helping identify connection. And then what's the barrier that we or hurdle we have to get over and then let's go do it. I mean, that's, that's what I do. And that's, I don't know if you even thought this far um, about it, but just in terms of the marketing and attaching your name, you know, to a, a media product, you know, you sponsored the first episode with, with Ginger Nelson and like people listened I recorded that in September of 2017. People listened to that one today yes. before I, I came to talk to you because I checked it. And every week, you know, two or three people are discovering the show and going back and listening to this thing that we both collaborated on, you with, with a check and me with making it happen. But like as an advertising vehicle or whatever you want to call it, it's still doing stuff. It's still reaching people, which I just think it, that's not even something that I fully thought about when I was starting this is just how long you know, that process would happen, how people would still be listening to the show and going back into the archives so many episodes later. So this goes back to conversation. Since I've been here, the best form of marketing is word of mouth. That's what everybody will tell you. And really, it's not word of mouth. It's relationship. Business happens because of relationships. And this The conversation is a relationship. So, of course, the sponsorship attached to that is going to have staying power if the relationship has staying power. The same to be said for those relationships with the people that you interview. I mean, I read a a wish list from Ginger just today of if she didn't have any care about money, what would she do for our city? And I was really excited to see that things that I've mentioned and things that I've wanted for were aligned in what she said as well. Who knows if we'll get there? I think we will. It's just a matter of time, but we're moving. Emerald is moving and in a good direction. So I think that if you can do marketing in the context of conversation and relationship, that's what sales is. That's what business is. So that's what makes sense. I can't really have a conversation with a newspaper or magazine ad. And I don't remember, it's interactive. And even when you're listening, you feel like you're in the conversation. So that's why the sponsorships have more staying power. You don't have that interaction. That's why social media has been so successful is even if there's interaction, it's a Mm -hmm. conduit to interaction. I think that's really interesting. Um, Something that, that as a byproduct of what I'm doing, I, my voice is in people's ears locally. And so they feel like they know me when we meet and I, I'm just meeting them the first time, but they're like, Oh, and, and have listened to all these episodes. And so it, it's a really intimate connection that happens that I don't always experience, but that listeners experience, which I think happens for me. And I think also happens for sponsors and, and the different companies that advertise. It does. And I, I think that's the alignment piece. You know, if you can find something like that and align with your values with a venue to sponsor like that, then it's a it's a home run. And it has been for us. I mean, there's not been one episode I've been disappointed with, wouldn't want to be attached to. <laughs> well, that's, that's comforting for me. Then. It's, it's, it's just fun to see how it's evolved and how how many of the people that I know in some way, and then also how many of the people that I don't. That's been really fun. Speaking of women in business, this week's episode is sponsored by Kara Hendricks, financial advisor with Edward Jones. 
If saving for retirement is something that you always seem to be thinking about doing but not actually doing, then you need to talk to Kara. She specializes in high-quality, tailored investments for investors of all ages and every kind of financial means. And she works to treat clients like she would want to be treated. So to get started, call Kara at 806-358-8346 today. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Okay, I'm back with Corey Burns of Estacar Companies. Corey, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Um, I told you when we started this that this is how I was going to structure the show. So you knew about Eight Straight before anybody else did, except for maybe my wife, I guess. Um, So you've had some time to prepare for some of these questions that that I regularly ask. So um, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. You get to answer those. Um, So I'll start with the first one. I've asked this of a lot of people. Uh, What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? Scott's Oyster Bar. Okay. I'm a huge seafood fan. I love Cajun and... It's always good, and the people are always great. Scott's like has been around for a long time and has hardly changed since it started. I mean, it's one of those few restaurants. It just, it's the same. It's always the same, and, and, I and think, that's good. That's what people love. I think that's why it works. Yeah. They know what they are, and they stick to it, and I maybe that's why I like it so much. I know what I'm going to get, and I love it, and I'm not ever disappointed. Uh, are you a Pack-A-Sack loyalist or Toot and Totem? Toot and Totem. Why is that? Location. Okay. I, I am a creature of convenience, and they have been very smart in having a toot and totem everywhere, yeah. and that helps me. I'm all over the place all the time, so definitely toot and totem. Okay. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Tyler Street. Why? My daughter's named after it. I lived in a house that was my father-in-law's, who's now deceased, and I fully believe that house was haunted. I do believe in that, and... We had a hard time coming up with a name, and I was going through all the street names that I'd ever lived on, and my husband and I came to the name Tyler. Well, right about the same time, so did my mom and dad, and made a phone call, and it's like an angel gave it to us, and I loved that house. I'm I'm big into history and mm-hmm. historic houses, and it was one, and so Tyler Street. Okay, that's that's a good answer. What does this area have too much of? I would say this area has too much judgment. Okay. I think that while we're accepting from a a friendship kind of position, like a person to person, person to person, we're we're friendly. We're very friendly, but we're not necessarily inclusive. I think that we make assumptions and judgments too quickly, and it's the answer has been too often. Well, it's the way we've always done it. Hmm. So based on, on maybe tradition or a short-sightedness that this is who we are and what we always do. I think it's not, tra- my experience has not been that it's tradition. It's just been more short-sightedness okay. or, or convenience or perception of respect. I think we have too much, a little too much stability sometimes and not enough change. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? I would say people and diversity and water. Living here now for 20 years, I miss the lakes and the pools in every neighborhood. I grew up, you know, for, I stayed here because Lake Meredith was amazing and we went to it almost every day. And then I saw it dry up. Yeah. So you would have experienced it when it was at its peak, peak, like 100 feet deep. And then 
and not that too was, long after it those was are 30 my best memories you know it was the courtship of our marriage it was development of my best friends that are still part of my family today and then nothing yeah just dried up grass where we had beaches and where we wakeboarded grass and now we're getting it back which is super exciting for me but I wish we had even more man-made water features and opportunities to have that around us okay how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area whether it's a potential client or you know somebody that, that you're just talking to and ask where do you live where do you work I describe it as very friendly, very entrepreneurship friendly. Most people talk about how flat it is. So the thing that I love about this area is the sunsets. Mm-hmm. They're like no other place in the world. And and so I, you know, I talk about that and how it really is. We have seasons here. We're in a close vicinity to skiing, which I didn't do growing up. I went the one time in eighth grade and then not again until my 20s. And so it's really a good place to be able to access different parts of the state and other states. And so I, that's what I described. Okay. When was the last time you went to the big Texan Christmas day? So, so last year, last year. Okay. Is that a tradition? Is that like a family thing? Absolutely or? not. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, like I know it. it is for some people. It, it's, it is for a lot of people, I realized. Um, we had some friends that didn't have a lot of family in town and only have one child. And we're not usually here at Christmas time. We're usually in the Dallas area. And she said, do you want to go to lunch with us? And I said, okay, that would be amazing, you know, to have family or what we felt like was family here at Christmas. And so we went and there were a lot of people that make that a tradition. And, and I love the Big Texan. I really like the brewery that they've developed and I like the Lees and I think they do great work. It's not necessarily my choice on a tradition, but... But that's because we live here, you know? It is because we live here. And I have found that we go intentionally more frequently now in recent years and not, not just when we have people in town, but because we enjoy the brewery and we enjoy mm-hmm. the music. And, you know, it's just fun for that to be part of even our kids' lives because that is something people all over the world know. Yeah. When you say Amarillo, Texas, they assume that, of course, you go eat there every Friday sure, for a steak. Sure. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? My neighborhood. I live in La Paloma and we're tucked into a little cul-de-sac and it, it really feels like home to me. And as much as I love Amarillo, it doesn't feel like Amarillo. Yeah, it's it's still a little bit more rural than the it city is, itself is. It it's, is. And there's hills and there's trees and we're protected from the wind where our house is situated. And so I lived kind of at the top of a hill growing up and my house that we, we bought has a lot of the same features of the house that my dad built that we grew up in. So it really, truly feels like home. And that community in that area is is so inclusive and we have amazing neighbors and friendships that have developed out of those schools that i didn't really think was possible until we moved there uh corey that concludes the eight straight questions i like to close by asking my guests to endorse something so what's something that you would want listeners to know about or experience related to this area the park You've interviewed Valerie Gooch, I have. the executive director of the park, which is the Panhandle Adult Rebuilding Center. And it's, it's a place that serves those that are experiencing homelessness. And 
it's an amazing organization. I've been on the board. I work there two days a week now. Um, it helps me as much as I think I help others, but it's a place where coaching is practiced every day and relationships, just relationship building is a conduit to serving somebody else and improving their necks and giving them options. And I don't know that I've had any other place in this town be so productive as, as to what I've seen that's happened there with their volunteers and, and the members that have come out of that. And I will say, you know, I first got involved with the park in its infancy about five years ago and did coaching there in a volunteer capacity. And one of one of the members there really connected with me and she was really a challenge. And she came back into my life a couple years ago, successful and mm -hmm. in her own apartment and moving on. And then I had pursued some other things, which we haven't talked about outside of Estacar. And I'm doing some mortgage loan origination because it's a conduit to coaching and helping people. And hmm. it's a skill set and interest I have. And one of the greatest things that made me know that all of this was aligned and made sense was that that individual that I had coached when she was experiencing homelessness, seen her succeed well beyond I ever thought that she would succeed, called me and asked me if I could help her buy a home and is now incredibly successful, has a relationship with her children, has a, a relationship with me and is buying a home and really will change the way that women work. I mm. mean, she's the epitome of resiliency, which means that I was part of that somehow. Yeah. So. So definitely the park. Good things happen when you go to the park and experience what they do. Corey Burns, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Kara Hendricks with Edward Jones for sponsoring the show. And of course, thanks to Corey Burns, not just for the interview, but for being part of this podcast since about four months before the episode ever released. I want to say thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast every week. And if you want to learn more about what Corey does, you can go to estacar.com. In addition to Corey, executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Wilson Lemieux, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossaman, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Chris Selda. Hey, if you don't follow this show on Instagram, that's where you should. Uh, go to at Hey Amarillo Podcast. You can see photos of every guest, plus me. The guests are the important part. My name is Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.